right, let's start the way we always start. We're going to start with our young ones. Kids, if I could have your attention, I'm going to tell you what this passage from Scripture is going to be about, what the sermon is going to be about. And I, I need you to, I, like, questions are coming right now. So, ready? How much does a normal cloud weigh? Anybody? Zero. Zero what? Zero pounds. Zero pounds. Okay, they just don't weigh anything. Okay, great. They actually weigh over a million pounds. Yes. And we even have adults saying that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. Yes, they actually weigh over a million pounds. Science. Okay, next. What kids, what's bigger, Australia or the moon? Australia. Okay, what's the, hey, kids, what is the largest toy store, wait, no, toy store in the world? Largest toy store in the world, kids. It's in London? Okay, what's the name of the store? FAO Schwartz, it's a good guess. Any others? Largest toy store in the world? McDonald's. I'm not like, oh, no, really, like, it's the largest toy store in the world, McDonald's. How about this? What's the largest restaurant chain in the world? Kids. Chick-fil-A. Charlotte, what do you think? Largest restaurant chain in the world. KFC, good guess. Goes beyond the borders of Kentucky. Uh, McDonald's, good guess. Keller, was that you? Subway. Subway is the largest restaurant chain in the world. How about this? Where was Chinese checkers invented? Simple. Germany. Uh, what? Oh, kids, what do you sweat? Okay, when you sweat, what do you sweat? What are you sweating? Water. Charlotte? Sun. You're sweating. So, ooh, that actually, that's really, really close, Annie. That's, that's pretty good. Salt, you're, you're, okay, did you know that you are sweating gold? <clears throat> you are, you are sweating gold that you have ingested from seawater, and seawater gets into everything, and uh, from, uh, solid gold particles, nanoparticles, get into uh, seawater that we ingest. You sweat gold. Okay, uh, how about this? Are there, more, are there more stars in our galaxy, or are there more trees on planet Earth? More stars. Elizabeth is saying more trees. I think she's catching on to the theme here. Uh, there are more trees. And not just a few more trees. There are 10 times more trees on planet Earth than there are stars in our galaxy. How about this? Kids, what color is the universe? What color is the universe? If you were to go out into space, black, scientists have determined the color of the universe is beige, pale yellow. Science. Okay. <laughs> Wait, I got like, oh, I got two more. Okay. How many, how many escalators are in Wyoming? How many escalators do you think are in the state of Wyoming, kids? Five, a hundred, zero, ten. They're two. <laughs> they're two. I don't know. Uh, they're two. Okay. Last one. Last one, kids. What, this is. What freezes faster, hot water 
or cold water? Who, who thinks hot? Raise your hand. Who thinks cold? Raise your hand. It's hot water. And you know what? Scientists don't know why. <laughs> they really have not figured that one out. But hot water freezes faster. And here, here's the crazy thing. It's like all these answers, we can keep going. The answers to all these questions are supposed to be like, what? No, and that's what most children are like, that's not true. A lot of y'all think I'm lying. Uh, I'm not. That's all true. Uh, it, you get these things, you're like, that sounds really wrong, but it, it's true. Okay, today uh, we're going to get one of those things from Jesus. Uh, I want you to think about this. Imagine that life is like a race, okay? To win the race of life, do you need to finish first or last, kids? Ooh, first, last. Last. It doesn't matter. First, that's good. Jesus is going to say to win the race of life, you have to finish last. And that's one of those head scratchers like, Jesus, that doesn't make sense. Like, that definitely doesn't make sense for the Astros. No, they have to win. Uh, it might, maybe that makes sense for the Longhorns. I don't know. But for us, this thing, Jesus says, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Jesus says the greatest people in God's kingdom are servants. It's those who serve other people. And you know that's true because Jesus, the Son of God, who is God himself, who, has, who made the universe, owns everything, is awesome in glory, more powerful than anything you can imagine. He comes down from heaven and he comes to earth to serve. He comes to serve a bunch of his enemies. He comes to serve a bunch of people who think they're greater than everybody else, a bunch of people who think they're greater than God himself. Jesus comes to serve those people, and that includes us. He comes to serve us, and it's not that, that he just shows us, ah, oh, this is how I serve other people. He does show us that, but he also sh shows us what the greatest service is, that Jesus, he served us so awesomely, he gave up everything to die on the cross for you, to save you from all of your sins, from being his enemy. And when he dies for you, and he gives up his life to serve you, that changes you from enemy to friend and to family. And what he's going to tell us today in, in Mark's gospel is that because we love Jesus, because he loved us, we're actually free to serve other people, all kinds of people, every kind of person. And that's what Jesus says, the greatest people in the kingdom, they're the ones who serve. So we're in the gospel of Mark this fall. Uh, it's normally assumed that the Gospels are all organized chronologically, like, you know, just a linear kind of story, one continuous thing. And yeah, life, death, resurrection of Jesus, that's definitely there. There's a lot of chronology, but each of the Gospel writers is retelling the story of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection in a certain way, all telling the same message, <clears throat> but they've got a storytelling technique to help make sense of it, to, to bring out for us the awesomeness of it. With Mark, we've heard these different kinds of stories, conflict stories, parable stories, miracle stories, a week in the life of Jesus, kind of typical stories. And in Mark chapters 8 to 9, Mark gives us, I don't have a better title for this, disciples' stories of Jesus. Uh, these stories that Jesus intentionally and privately focuses on his disciples. So what we're going to read right here, <clears throat> these stories, we're only going to read one, but these stories between Jesus and his disciples, they're taking place 
as the group heads to Jerusalem. And uh, there's no public ministry going on right now. Jesus is focused on time with his disciples. He's preparing them for what's to come. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Mark chapter 9, verses 30 to 37. They went on from there, and they passed through Galilee. And he, Jesus, did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he's killed, after three days, he will rise. But they did not understand the saying, and they were afraid to ask him. And they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and he called the twelve. And he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child, put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. <clears throat> so they get, the group gets to Capernaum, uh, and they stop for the night, and Jesus asks the guys, hey, what were y'all arguing about on the way in here? Like, what are y'all fighting about? And the response after awkward silence is, like, there's no one in, and finally someone says, okay, okay, okay. We were arguing about who's the greatest. And not like who's the fastest, not like who would win in a fight. Not, it's not the smartest thing. It's they're arguing over who is the greatest out of Jesus' disciples. Among the 12 of them. And, and on the road, they really get into it. They get into a shouting match. They are fighting about it. One, one pastor has pointed out that uh, what, they do, what they do get here, what the disciples get is uh, that Jesus is about to establish his kingdom. They believe that. This kingdom is going to start in Israel, and it's going to spread throughout the world. They, they get that. They're right about that. Jesus is going to need officers for the kingdom. So who's going to head the military? And who's going to be chief treasurer? Who's going to be chief of state? They're, they're fighting over who has proven themselves worthiest for the highest positions in this kingdom that is coming. So the disciples confess this. This is what we're fighting about. And they ask Jesus point blank, so who's the greatest? And Jesus answers in Jesus' fashion. Uh, Y'all know, know what a paradox is? Uh, a statement that is seemingly contradictory, or, uh, or that's opposed to common sense, but it might just be true. Uh, here's some examples. Save money by spending it. If I know one thing, it's that I know nothing. This is the beginning of the end. Deep down, you're really shallow. I'm a compulsive liar. Gotta think about the one. Wait, so uh, men work together when they work together or apart. It's Robert Frost. Uh, this is uh, George Bernard Shaw. What a pity that youth must must be wasted on the young. Uh, Oscar Wilde. I can resist anything but temptation. 
paradoxes are meant to flex your mental muscles. The disciples ask Jesus straight up, who's the greatest? And Jesus answers with a paradox because he wants them to think, 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 because he wants them to flex their faith muscles. He already started doing this actually back in Mark chapter 8. So it's still part of these same kind of disciple stories. Jesus, this is when he first tells his disciples just straight up plainly about his impending death and resurrection. So he says back in chapter 8, verse 35, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And here Jesus throws another paradox at them, chapter 9, verse 35. Who is the greatest? He says, if anyone would be last, he must be last of all and servant of all. And this does not compute. It does not make sense to the disciples. Greatness means status, health, wealth, political, social influence. And this is why in the first century, first century ancient Near East, uh, in their understanding, women, the poor, slaves, the sick, the disabled, they're not great. One New Testament commentator makes the point that Mark's gospel, this thing goes out into the Greek world, uh, who knew the words of one of their great Greek philosophers, Plato, who said, how can you possibly be happy if you have to serve? The world says serving others is a barrier to happiness. Jesus says serving is the way to greatness. To illustrate this paradox that they're not getting, Jesus lovingly picks up a child running around in the house where they're staying. And, and, and to set the stage for what he's about to say, holding this kid, you got to remember that children were also not great in the ancient Near East. Because of the mortality rate, uh, almost half of the children didn't survive into adulthood. Until you could help, really, until you could help around the house or you could be married off, uh, you really didn't bring value to the family. And today, that's today we we like to today we use our children as status symbols to show off to others. Uh, they didn't do that back then. Not saying that that's right and we do it better than that. I'm just saying they didn't that they didn't do that. Children and slaves had the same status. In fact, in the Roman world, when a baby was born, the father could decide whether or not to keep the newborn. Uh, and, and if he didn't want it, the nurse would simply put it outside. Uh, if the father picked up the child, that meant he received the child as his child. If he didn't, it was cast out to die. And Christians in the first century uh, Roman world would walk around the towns, even, even in the middle of the night, to collect these exposed newborns, rescue them, and receive them as their own child. The early church, the early church was ready, ready to receive those who the culture said are the least. Okay? So stage set. To illustrate his paradoxical point that they're not getting that this thing of to be great you have to serve the least, Jesus says with the child in his arms, he says, listen, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Better translation would be, not, you don't just receive me, but also the one who sent me. Now, now think. He's illustrating his paradox with a paradox. 
Because from the disciples' vantage point, it's got to be this thought of like, well, okay, wait, wait, that, sorry, that doesn't make sense. Do you mean, are you talking about how we get the child to receive you? You said, this is how we receive you, but I've already received you. I'm a disciple. So you mean, I, I got to go, go receive this insignificant child so that you'll receive the child? Or, 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 wait, or, or do you mean whoever receives you will receive these children? Like, like, okay, I get it. You're receiving that kid, so I've got to receive this kid too, as in like, I need to be more humane. I, I need to be more tolerant. I need to be more pitying of those who are less than me. No. Ne- Jesus isn't saying ne- either of those. Neither. The, the point is, the insignificant child already has Jesus because Jesus has taken the child in his arms and received him. In the illustration, the child has Jesus, not the disciple. To receive Jesus, you have to receive this gospel message about Jesus, that the Father sent Jesus to receive the least, like this child, and that includes you too. You're a child too, and you've only received Jesus because he came to receive you. The gospel empowers you to serve and receive the least of these because if the gospel is for you, it's for anyone because you're not greater than anyone. The disciples did not receive Jesus because of something they did. The disciples did not receive Jesus because they're smarter than the child. It's not because they're great. It's because in God's grace, he sent Jesus to find them. It's the same for us. It's because in God's grace, he has sent Jesus to find you, to take you in his arms and receive you. So let's be vulnerable. Let's get vulnerable like the disciples need to get. We, we all want to know that we matter. We, really, we all want to know that we matter, and we can convince ourselves that we matter. We can do it with money. We can do it with the, you know, the right house, right neighborhood, with right friends, right social media presence, you know, right church. It can be that thought of right church that's big with a lot of people, but not just any people. We've got to have the right kind of people. Uh, and and uh, we, what we want is an influential church with influencers influencing the city around us. And it's not, it's not, we don't want to go all the way to the extreme of we want to know that we matter, so therefore I want to be famous. We don't have to go there. It doesn't have to be this thing of, hey, listen, I want to know that I matter. You don't necessarily desire to be famous. That's not, that's not necessarily true. It's this desire of I want to know that what I did had some impact. Like, I, I want to know that I made a small difference. Not... I die, and, and really soon it's like I never existed. And we can even get, we can get to that point of feeling, I want to matter. And what that, what that feels like is, I want to see, I want, I want other people to see that I matter and that you don't matter. 
or you matter just enough so that when people look at you and then they look at me, I shine in comparison and I matter that much more than you. The, the more paradox within the paradox here. I mean, that's where we are, this desire to matter. More paradox within the paradox, the answer is not. So don't be great. Just don't, don't want to be great. Like that doesn't help to say, hey, you don't have to matter. Only God has to matter. Well, that, that's, that doesn't help because it, 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 can't, it, it can be really hard to believe what I'm about to say. It can be really hard to believe this when your body is falling apart, when normal is not feeling good, uh, when family members and friends die, uh, when you make mistakes, where you just get up in the morning and you, you look at the mirror. Uh, it, it can be hard. It can be hard to believe you are the pinnacle of creation. Not Mount Everest, not constellations, not the sun, not the lion. None of those bear the image of God. You do, and so you are the pinnacle of creation. And Jesus tells us how to be great. Jesus does not say, come on, y'all, I'm not about greatness. Really, you're asking me about greatness? Y'all, I'm not about greatness. Look at me. That's not, he doesn't say that. Because he is about greatness, because God is great. And we are God's image bearers. And that desire to be great is from God. Jesus encourages the desire to be great. You want to be, you want to be great in God's eyes? Great. Good. But to be great in God's kingdom, it's this counterintuitive thing. It's counterintuitive to what the world says is to be great because to be great in God's kingdom means you serve those who the world says are not great. And, and, and this is the paradox. If you're going, that sounds like, what? It's the paradox. If you're going to be great in God's eyes, then you have to serve people who in the world's eyes are beneath you you got to serve the least. you got to serve the lowest. you got to serve the lamest. And you have to treat them like they are just as valuable as you are because they are in God's eyes. And, and we're not going to take this as, don't take this as a social gospel because both conservatives and liberals, they hate this stuff. That, that your status in the world is inconsequential. That you are called to love your enemy that you are a sinner no better than the next person because by yourself you deserve God's judgment and you need Jesus' salvation or you will be judged. This is not a social gospel because serving strangers is a lot easier than serving those you do life with. And we have got to live this out. This is it. Jesus talking to the disciples who are talking about the kingdom of God and the church. We've got to live this paradox out here with each other. This is the greatness that we strive for with one another in the church. And we say this, that who does what here in the church? It's not just true of our church, but who does what at the church? It's not based on wealth. It's not, it's not supposed to be. It's not supposed to be based on wealth, status, background, or politics. It's based on, the, on your willingness to serve and use God's given gifts. 
So some serve up front and some serve behind the scenes. Neither is more valuable than the other. Everyone from our elderly to our young, they are valuable. And we try to say this every Sunday. No one here is a nuisance. Everyone here is treasured because everyone here is valuable to Jesus. And the church does not move. The church does not grow. The church does not endure because of one or two people. It's Jesus' spirit working in and through his people, through the means of grace like word, like prayer, like sacrament, like fellowship and service. In C.S. Lewis's Screwtape Letters, this is really weird book that he wrote about two demons who are writing to each other, a senior demon and a junior demon, and they're writing to each other about how to ruin this, this junior demon's patient, this person. Um, and the elder demon writes to him at one point, he says, your patient wakes up every day believing he is the lawful possessor of 24 hours. Fan that belief. Because it, it's, it's not just that, that we don't want to have a consumerist mindset when we come to church. It's that we want to live like we are stewards of our gifts and our time, not owners. Because ultimately, every good resource that we have, it is, you know, from your time to all of it, it's a gift from God. And so that, it's that question, another, another pastor has put it, put it really well. He says, can you, be so, can you be so protective of your time that you don't have time to serve others and call yourself a servant? And we're, we're called to be servants. And the very, very good question of what are my spiritual gifts? What are my spiritual gifts? Those can only be answered once you start serving. Somewhere, anywhere. And so, again, uh, super helped uh, here by Brian Habig, who put it like this. He said, don't let the perfectionism of I don't totally understand. I don't totally understand that, so, so I'm, I'm not going to start. I'm not going to jump in. Just start. Just jump in. Set up, breakdown, communion prep, communion cleanup, music, praying, coming up here and, and giving one of the, one of the prayers, um, the nursery, greeter, kids Sunday school. We've just started kids Sunday school and youth Sunday school. If you like to teach, please come talk to me. Uh, if it's, uh, you know, a Bible study that you want to start, a community group that you want to do, uh, if you want to host an event, there, there are, I mean, we could go on, there are all kinds of spiritual gifts from like teaching and evangelism to, to bearing burdens uh, and mercy to, to administration and wisdom and just being with someone else one-on-one and being there for them and listening. And uh, no, one but Je- no one but Jesus has all of the spiritual gifts. He said again, no person has all of the spiritual gifts but Jesus, and that's intentional on God's spirit. That's intentional on God's part so that we need each other. We need each other, and we want here, we want here to give each other the opportunity to steward your gifts. Because your gifts are not given for you. They're given for me. They're given for the person next to you. Your gifts are given for other people to bring them closer to Jesus. If, if, you, don't, if you don't know your gifts, 
Uh, you, you do. You just got to start somewhere. And you come talk to somebody uh, here about where you might start, but you start somewhere, anywhere. Uh, and if you think you know your gifts, are you, are you getting to put them to use? And that may be our fault. And come tell us that, uh, that you want that opportunity. Because the truth is you matter to this body. This is true. The church needs you. This church needs every single one of you. Should we go by name? Uh, but we need every single one of you, uh, which is one of the beautiful things in a small church is you actually really know that, that every single person here matters. Are um, uh, serving one another, oh, this is hard, this is, this is again, this is Habeck. Uh, serving other people is not a time problem, it's a gospel problem. You don't just serve because you love someone. I promise this is true because I know this. In serving someone, you will come to love that person. We serve because we love people, and you love people because you serve them. And as you serve others, you are doing great things for God. Like, this is true. Jesus says this. As you serve others, you are great. Even if no one sees it, even if no one sings your praises, even if no one ever knows that you did it, God knows. Jesus says, if you receive the least in my name, that, that, that's the motive right there. It's not, I want to be great because I want to be great. You, you want to know it should matter? Yes, but that thing right there, Jesus says, if you receive the least in my name, the motive is not to serve other people so that other people speak well of you, but that they would speak well of Christ. You serve others so that they leave and say, Jesus, how great is Jesus? You serve out of love for him who served you. These stories between Jesus and his disciples, they're taking place as they head to Jerusalem for the last time. So on this final march, Jesus tells them plainly twice in these interactions, he's going to tell them once more that they're headed for Jerusalem and that he is going to be delivered over into the hands of, the, of his enemies, and they are going to kill him. And after three days, he will rise from the dead. Jesus is heading to the cross. It's the, it's the lowest place, not only in Roman society, it's the lowest place in God's economy. The, the, the Old Testament says to be hanged on a, on a tree is to be cursed. This is the great paradox to the disciples. Jesus dying, whew, he can't die. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. Peter just confessed that earlier on the road trip to Jerusalem, and Jesus confirmed it. Yes, I am the Christ. Okay, so Jesus has to win. If he dies, he loses. And if he loses the disciples and all of God's people, we all lose. This is from uh, my buddy Matt Howell. He said, once, uh, imagine Jesus went to a PR expert and he said, I want to be the greatest person who has ever lived in the history of the universe and here's my game plan of how to do it. I want to be born in obscurity and I want to grow up in a village that 99.9% .9 of people have no idea exists and, and I want to live a life loving the people that nobody cares about and then I want to die an early death. The publicist would say, hmm, well that's insane and that will never work. You do that, and no one will notice. No one's going to Instagram that. No, no one will talk about that, and you will be forgotten and erased from the pages of human history. And here we are 2,000 years later on a different continent, joining a billion other people 
worshiping this Jesus. At the very beginning of the passage, Jesus calls himself the Son of Man. Those words go out into a Jewish world who knew them, who knew the words of one of their greatest Jewish prophets, Daniel, who says that he has a vision of God. He has a vision of the Ancient of Days. And in the vision, the Ancient of Days has a son. And the son, yeah, he's he's called the Son of Man. And he's a man, and he radiates and he shines with the glory of God. And the revelation is the Son of God is divine himself. The son of man who is the son of God, who is man, who is God. And Jesus comes and he says, I'm the son of man. And that he came to serve people who in rebellion against God want to matter more than other people. He came to serve people who want to matter more than their God. And his ultimate service will be to take on all of our selfishness and to be punished for it on the cross. On the cross, Jesus became what we most fear, a servant dying for his enemies. And that is his greatest moment of glory. Sounds like it's not true. It's the gospel truth. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would take this gospel truth that seems so paradoxical to us and give us faith to believe to trust uh, what you have told us about what it is to be great in your kingdom, that our desire to be great is great, but that we would understand the truth of the gospel, that to be great is to serve those who the world count the least. Give us that kind of heart. And it's not just uh, uh, this one-time thing we ask for and we're going to be good from here. Lord, bless us to come back to this gospel truth that we are not better than the person sitting next to us, that the person sitting next to us is just as valuable as we are, and we are valuable in your eyes, valuable enough for you to send your son to die for us in our place on the cross. Help us through faith to see others that way, to see others as, as loved by you as we see ourselves. Help us to see ourselves that way too, Lord. We pray all of this in your name, and we pray it all for your glory. Amen.